morning, church. We're going to be in John chapter 10 this morning. So if you would grab your Bible, um, I'm going to read a little different this morning. I'm going to be reading the passage as we're working through each section. But you get there, John chapter 10, verse 22 is where we're at here. Now, last week we kind of ended about three weeks of a continuous story through chapter 9 and into 10. And this week we're going to pick this up in 10 and kind of a setting change. Likely it's a, maybe even a couple months later that this story happens. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead. John chapter 10, verse 22, or uh, on your phone or tablet or whatever you might have this morning. Here's how the, sto- the passage starts out in verse 22 of chapter 10. The time came for the festival of dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple walking in the covered porch named for Solomon. The Jewish opposition circled around him and asked, how long will you test our patience? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Well, now that's a passage you might move past a little quick to get on with the rest, but it gives us a setting of what's going on in the festival of dedication. Now, you may not know what the festival of dedication is. This is one of the three key festivals that shows up in the book of John. Uh, some scholars will actually suggest there's a fourth uh, festival in there, depending on how you interpret some of, of what John talks about with one of the festivals. Uh, but for sure, there's three, and the festival of dedication would be this third we haven't talked about up till now. You know it better as Hanukkah. And let me give you the background of this and why it's, it's celebrated today. It was 168 BC and the occupation of Jerusalem uh, was pretty intense. It had gotten to the point where temple worship was no longer legal. The temple was not open. You could not worship. Antiochus was the, uh, they actually called him king there. And he actually sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple. And so that's what he thought about the temple. So that was going on, and you could see the frustration rising in, among the Jewish people. And so in 165, four brothers got together, and they led this rebellion, led by the brother Judas Maccabees. And you know, might know it, if you know some history, is the Maccabean re- Rebellion. And they took back the temple. Now, they tried to take back all of Jerusalem, but they weren't just powerful enough. But they did take back the temple. And in 165, they opened the temple back up for worship. Now, you might remember, we talked about this a a little while back, that there was actually a light that signified God's presence. It was a flame that was lit. It was always on in the temple, always, 24-7. When they took back the temple, there was not enough oil in the temple to keep that candle going. The supply had been depleted entirely. But by faith, they lit that that lantern, and it burned the first day, and the second day, and the third day, eight straight days until a resupply of oil was delivered to the temple, and the light was able to stay on. That is why we call this Hanukkah or Festival of Lights and why it lasts eight days. This is what it celebrates. But there's something even more. It celebrates that God is our deliverer. And so if you remember back with with Moses and, and that God delivered them, 
During this time, this rebellion, people would speak in these terms. God has once again delivered us from our oppressors. And so that is the celebration of this. And so here, Jesus uses these different festivals. He uses what they symbolize. And here, we're, we're getting Jesus in a way saying, God is delivering you again through me. Jesus using this time as he states, he will be God's deliverer. And so that's what we get. That's kind of the parallel that Jesus uses in this festival and why the setting is such. John is not writing these things by mistake. He could just say, hey, down the road or at another festival. But he wants to make sure you understand as the reader what this festival is because you would know what it celebrates and then who he's declaring John in his gospel, Jesus, to be. Now, this uh, you'll see in verse 24 there, this Jewish opposition. And you might question, well, what does that mean, Jewish opposition? We have gotten up till now, we get uh, the Jewish people, we get crowd, we get people in, in the gospels, and we get all of these names for religious leaders, Pharisees being the dominant one that we have used in the book of John. But when John says the Jewish opposition... What he normally means is those who are passionate, loyal to the Pharisees or to those religious leaders. So they have bought into this idea that Jesus is nothing. Jesus is a problem. Jesus needs to be done away with. They're passionate followers and supporters of the Pharisees. So they're followers of the religious leaders. That is what John means when he says Jewish opposition. He doesn't just simply mean all the Jewish people. He would mean those who are passionate there. So Jesus is having this conversation. Well, they're having it with him. And they're saying, how long will you test our patience? Just tell us simply where or who you are, that you're the Christ. Now, I don't know how it works in your family, but I love to take our family places and not tell them kind of where it's kind of like a surprise. And they'll throw out little questions and I'll answer the questions without lying, but steering them away from what they possibly could think as where we're going. And every once in a while, like the frustration builds up, not in me, in them, you know, like just tell us where we're going, just tell us. And that's what they're saying. Look, we're so tired of all of this reading of scripture, all of this speaking like you came from God or you do the same things. We're so tired of it. Just bluntly tell us that you're the Christ. Just tell us, and that, that'll be enough. Now, when they say that's enough, that means, like, that'll be enough for them to kill them. That's what they want to do anyway, but they're waiting for this. Why? Why up till now has Jesus not bluntly said it? Well, he's told us through John, my time has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. It was not time for Jesus to be killed. The time was coming. In fact, it's very soon now, as we're in chapter 10, and it's going to come in just about a, a chapter and a half later. So that's what they're getting at here. That's the setting. Now, take a look at the next section because Jesus is going to respond. And I'm going to read it to you. And you're going to see things that are overlapping themes. Things that Jesus has declared many, many, many times up till now. So he once again says to them, not, yes, I'm the Christ. He once again declares what he's here doing. Take a look, verse uh, 25, it starts. I've told you, but you don't believe. 
The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. What I do tells you who I am. But you don't believe because you don't belong to my sheep. Remember he just talked about, my sheep hear my voice. You don't believe because you don't know my voice. You don't hear. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Not the first time he said that. They will never die and no one will snatch them from my hand. Let's pause for just a second. You may not pick up on it, but those were absolutely frustrating words for the religious leaders and for this Jewish opposition, for Jesus to keep saying, they'll never die. They'll have eternal life, my followers. They're confused. What, you've heard it in the past in other chapters. You know, how can, how can, how can they not die? You know, they're confused. What exactly is he getting at here? So those are frustrating words, and he repeats it again. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them from my father's hand. I and the father are one. So Jesus is restating his mission. He testifies to the father in verse 25. Listen, you've seen what I've done, what I do. That, that testifies to who I am from the father. You don't believe I don't know much, what else you need to see from me or hear from me. You don't believe. And then he says this thing of my followers will never die. They'll have eternal life. Hey, let's remember what that means when he says eternal life. Because uh, we have kind of taken that phrase in our, our present day Christianity and we just say, oh, eternal life. That means when I die, I will live forever. I'll go to heaven and live forever. Their thought was you will have life that continues past death which means there's an assumption that the life Jesus is giving is immediate. They immediately. In fact, they don't talk a ton about the afterlife. Look it up. Look through all the verses, and you'll see the Jewish people don't speak regularly about it. They do speak about life that will continue even past death. And so that was their concept of eternal life, and this is what Jesus is offering. Well, what's their response again? Well, it's not the first time, right? This is the third time we've seen it in John. They pick up stones, and they're going to stone him. Now, the other two times, remember what Jesus did? He just slipped away somehow through the crowd. He got away. But listen to what he does now. He is going to actually confront them and talk to them. Verse 31, again, the Jewish opposition picked up stones in order to stone him, and Jesus responded, listen to this, it's clever, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Which of the works I do from the Father do you stone me? That would cause them to stop a second and think for a second. What is this going to look like if we stone him? And indeed, that's what he was doing, good works from God. What if they could go through the Old Testament and they could actually put verse to what Jesus has been doing and, and, and draw parallel to God? And Jesus is confronting them on this. He's once again speaking about doing what the Father says to do. Now, why did they pick up the stones in the first place? You might have picked up on it. I and the Father are one. Now, though he doesn't come out directly and say, I am the Christ, this is getting about as close to a line without stepping over it as you can. It kind of leaves a little door doorway of interpretation, and clearly the Jewish opposi opposition is interpreting it as, there it is, he said he's the Christ. Let's get the rocks going. So that's where Jesus is at. He's speaking 
again his mission. It again frustrates and infuriates people that Jesus would elevate himself to this status and to this standard. And so uh, they respond. Verse 33, the Jewish opposition said, we don't stone you for good work, but for insulting God. You are human, yet you make yourself out to be God. Make yourself out to be like God is really the better translation there, to be like God. You've put yourself too close to God in your connection and your relationship and the authority that you're proclaiming. And that's why we pick up stones. Now, here's what I want to do and why we flew through some of that, the first page of your outline. Because one, you'll notice this is Jesus re-speaking his mission he's been speaking for many chapters. And there's an opposition that arises as well. But Jesus does something in the end of this chapter that I want to draw your attention to because it happens throughout Scripture, uh, throughout the New Testament. Jesus does it. Paul will pick up on this and do this as well as Peter. And so uh, I want to kind of teach you how you walk through this uh, in the form of, uh, of kind of how you would do Bible study on your own. Starting in verse 34, Jesus is going to, he's going to quote Psalm chapter 82. But he's just going to quote a couple words from Psalm chapter 82. Take a look at it, 34. Jesus replied, isn't it written in your law, I have said you are God's? We'll just pause right there. That's Psalm chapter 82. Now, whenever you see Jesus or, or one of the New Testament writers quote something like that, they are often quoting the whole chapter. Or they're quoting something that the readers or the listeners would understand the greater chapter or the greater section, because they didn't have chapter and verse that was put on later. The greater section of Scripture. So when Jesus on the cross, why have you forsaken me? It's not one verse to interpret. It's a greater psalm to interpret the whole thing, to understand what Jesus is speaking on the cross. And so here, Jesus speaks these words. And so what we'll do, and what I'll encourage you always, when you see that show up, if you have a study Bible, it probably at the bottom tells you what reference it's talking to. Even if it's not a study Bible, often there'll be a little asterisk or something there, and it'll be at the bottom of the page. Go and read that whole section so that you get an idea of what it's talking about. So Psalm chapter 82, I've put the whole psalm into your notes. I'll read it a section at a time, and then I'll help you understand how Jesus is drawing a parallel and why he uses this psalm. So take a look. at It starts in verse 38, or 34. It goes through 39, but we're first going to walk through this section of, of Psalm chapter 82. That's what's in your, uh, your uh, italic in your verses there at the bottom. God takes his stand in the divine council. He gives judgment over the gods. Now notice there, you get a God, capital G, and, and God's lowercase g. That's the editors put that in so we understand they're talking about two different things. God takes stand in his divine council, meaning God is the one speaking here. He's speaking. He's drawn in his council, and now he's going to address his council. And he gives judgment among the gods. He is going to speak among 
gods, little g. What is that getting at? Well, in the Old Testament, it's used a few times. It just simply means those who are given spiritual authority. And so it's used sometimes to talk about humans and sometimes to talk about like a spiritual being as well. Uh, And so here, not quite sure which he's referring to, but he's speaking about people who have been given or beings that have been given spiritual authority. That God has said, I send you out now with authority to go speak my message, speak my mission, you know, build into whatever. That's what he's saying here. So Jesus, in Jesus' day, these clearly would have been the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the other religious leaders of the day is who they would have been. In fact, often Jesus is referring to this, these religious leaders, they've been given responsibility. They oversee the temple, right? In fact, they have overseen the temple since not long after this Maccabean revolt happened. See, the temple was taken back, but as soon as the Roman Empire moved in, they allowed worship. Worship became legal. Just don't cause us a problem. And who rose up to take control of the temple then? It wasn't the Maccabeans. They, they were gone. It was the Pharisees. It was the religious leaders. And so they have this responsibility. They were the care providers of the law, a good thing. They wanted to see the law of the Old Testament preserved, but they went a long way with it. And they turned it into really just legalism and rode on top of it. In our day, um, we might think of it in terms of pastors, right? Or religious leaders or priests. But really, when we look at the New Testament, we understand that term priesthood of all believers, the calling of everyone who's a Christian. More correctly, in our day, we would say, it's all those who know Jesus. All those who know Jesus have been given some form of spiritual authority, some responsibility in this message and mission of God. Simply saying, you have responsibility to be a spiritual leader or a spiritual giver in some capacity. You have that responsibility just the same as I as a pastor. Well, in verse uh, 2 of that uh, Psalm chapter 28, he's speaking to those gods, and he says, How long will you judge unjustly by granting favor to the wicked? God speaking to the people who were given spiritual authority is saying, look, you're giving favor to the wicked. What are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. How long are you going to keep doing this? God is indicting the gods, lowercase gods, for favoring the wicked. That's what's happening. Now remember, uh, wicked, the term is simply this. It's, It's those not acknowledging God. If you're not acknowledging God, that in itself is wicked. So if there is some decision you're making in your life, and God says, hey, look, I'll lead you, I'll guide you, I'll provide for you. I mean, you've got a significant decision, and you go forward and make that decision irregardless of God. That, by definition, that is wicked. That's what they mean by that. They're making decisions without acknowledging God at all. They're finding favor on people without acknowledging God and who he is and what his ways are at all. He calls that wicked. Question, are you wicked at times? Like, Do, do you look at your week? We like to judge ourselves overall and say, overall, I'm not a wicked person, right? Maybe my my good is outweighing the bad, or my acknowledging God is outweighing the not acknowledging God. But maybe the better way is to walk through your week and just walk from thing to thing, decision to decision, um, places you go, 
and ask yourself, am I acknowledging God? Am I seeking God? Am I asking of God in this? Now, Jesus indicts favoring the leaders of his days based on their bias. He's frustrated because they seem to always care for the ones they say are in favor with God, but they're not caring for those who aren't able to get into the temple and to worship. They certainly don't seem to care about the paralyzed person. Remember John chapter 5 at the gates? They don't seem to care about the man born blind other than to say, you're not clean, you can't come in the temple. They don't seem to have that care. They have their own bias built in. I think about us today. Um, What would it look like? Our bias might be people we like. You have people you don't like and you're like, I'm just not going to spend any time near them. People who are uncomfortable to be around, people who are messy, right? People who can't help you back. The question for us here would be, how large is your view of everyone here? Because that's really what God is getting at. His mission, what he has to offer is for everyone, but the gods and the religious leaders of Jesus' days and us sometimes, we narrow that down to people fitting in a certain box. So God doesn't like that. He goes on and he says, let me tell you what my mission is. Verse 3, 4, and 5 of of Psalm chapter 82. Give justice to the lowly and the orphan. Maintain the right of the poor and the destitute. Recover the lowly and the needy. Deliver them from the power of the wicked. They don't know. They don't understand. They wander around in dark. All the earth's foundations shake. This is God directing the gods, little g, to his mission. This is what our mission is about. This is what we do. Those in spiritual authority, this is your mission as well, to do what uh, we just read, to give justice and to rescue. Jesus is really declaring, if you walk through John, this is his mission too. This is what he's been talking about. This is why he spends so much time with those described in those verses. I don't know about you, but it's hard sometimes to spend time with people in those verses. Have you found that to be true? It sucks some energy, some time. Sometimes my finances, my resources. Sometimes I don't get anywhere spinning my wheels, right? But notice God is saying, this is my mission. This is what we're here for. This is what I've given you some form of spiritual authority to do. Notice in those verses, there's not a, a, a verse in the middle of five and six that said, you know, and gather for a super worship service with lots of lights and music and an energetic, entertaining pastor. And none of that's said in there. God speaks clearly on his mission and it involves people, people who are often kicked to the curb as he's indicting these gods for. So the question for us, are your eyes open to the mission around you? Are your eyes open to those? Is there someone in your neighborhood at work, that person who, I mean, they're, come on, they're just a mess, right? And it's easier to steer clear of them. And God's saying, how about justice? How about rescuing them? And I think the one that impacts me the most is verse 5, helping those wandering in darkness. If they're just wandering around in darkness, they need, they need what God has to offer. 
So God comes hard against the lowercase gods. Look at verse 6 and 7 of, of Psalm 82. I hereby declare you are gods, children of the Most High, all of you, but you will die like mortals. You will fall like any prince. Now, this is the passage where biblical scholars that think these are, are spiritual beings, he would, they would use this passage, and they would say, look, in this case, little gods, you're, I mean, you're significant spiritual beings, but guess what? You're just going to die like mortals because you're not doing what I gave you authority to do. Like, why would I use you if you didn't do what I asked you to do? And Jesus is saying the same thing. He's judging leaders. God's bringing, is judging the little gods, and Jesus is judging the religious leaders in the same way. And I think at times God looks at us or the church today and says, listen, if you're not going to do what my mission is, why would I continue with you? What is there you have to offer? Because this is what my mission is about. So God is coming strong at these little gods. Finally, verse 8, rise up, God, judge the earth become because you hold all nations in your possession. Jesus is going to carry out the plan himself here. He's kind of like, have you ever had this at your work? You know, I'll just do it myself. No, right? So that's kind of what God is doing. He's saying, look, if I give you authority to go do it and you don't do it, in fact, you do something that's on the other side that's wicked, well, I'll just, I'll do it myself. Do it myself. Jesus will do the role in, this role in carrying God's plan. Jesus is fully on board with God's mission. He's fully on board. He constantly is saying, it's not me, it's God's words. It's not my works, it's God's work. I do them to testify to the Father. And in this passage, he says, what I do testifies to myself. The works I do are the Father's works. So Jesus is fully on board. The phrase that came to mind for me that challenges me, and I hope it does you, is find what God is doing and get on board. That's what we do. Get on board with what God is doing. Listen, you're not going to know what God is doing if we don't get into the Word and read about who God is or do some research to know who is God, what is He about, who is Jesus, what is He about. And when we discover that, I've got to get on board because once I discover that, there's a yes or no answer. And the no comes with a price. That's what God is speaking in Psalm 82. So back to our passage. And notice that Jesus says these words, and he is quoting really this whole section of Scripture, this whole chapter 82, speaking into it, drawing up parallels between why he is here and what he's doing and how it is parallel to Psalm 82. And I think we wouldn't have to look too, through, too deep as I've given you a few questions to consider ourselves and how the authority God has given us as believers in him to go out and to share and to be on mission and what we're supposed to do. Now, it ended with, with Jesus, the same it's ended the last couple times. Verse 39, again, they wanted to arrest him, but he must be an amazing escape artist. It's the third time he's done it, but he escapes and he moves on. Next week, uh, for the next two weeks, we're going to pick up 
really the last chapter we're going to look at together in John in chapter 11, bringing us all the way up to where Jesus makes the statement, my time has come. It's what's been building in the whole book. This week, though, I wonder for you if you would look at this passage, Psalm 82, if you would look at the parallel that Jesus draws, and if you would draw your own parallel to what God is directing and pushing and challenging you to do by being on mission with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you. Father, that I know for me, you challenged my heart. I stood or sat in my office just kind of quiet, contemplating what this would mean, contemplating all the energy and work I often put into a Sunday morning experience, service, and hearing what your mission is about to care for people, messy people, hurting people, and as you hit me the most, Lord, people wandering in darkness. Father, would you break our heart for that? Would here at Wendover Hills, would we hear a verse like that and we'd say, that's what I want to do. I want to pour myself out for people like that. So this week, Lord, would we draw the parallel, maybe in our devotion time each morning, maybe we're even reading Psalm 82 every day. And when we draw that parallel to the authority you've given us to share you, I would just send us out, empower us to do it. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, it'll be interesting to hear this week. How does God flush that out for you? Psalm 82 every day might be a good place to begin, or the, this chapter in John 10 would be a good, or this section of John 10 might be good. Uh, but not doing something, not as good. So get into it, read something this week uh, would be great. Hey, last week, um, many of you know uh, Fabio in uh, Use It Comes to 10.30 service. Um, he, he brought two friends, and, and Fabio is Portuguese, and they, or I'm sorry, the Brazilian, and they were Brazilian. And, I, and I'm just thinking, well, they must, they must be working with, with Fabio. There's a big plant down in Brazil for his company, and they must have come up, and they're working. And so I'm like, Fabio, hey, how'd you meet these people? How'd you invite these people? He said, well, I was at the dog park, and I heard somebody speaking Portuguese. And, um, and if you know Fabio, he can't go in the grocery store without talking to somebody. So... So he turned around and talked to them, and uh, sure enough, he, he actually tried to walk through the circles, remember, from the week before? I remember I shared with you the three circles. And he said he got it like halfway through the first circle and then was like, do you want to come to church with me? He couldn't remember the rest. So I said, well, A plus for, for attempting it. And, and so it's as simple as that, to just invite somebody to come along. You want to come to church with me Sunday? So, um, and then he, he excitedly let me know yesterday he invited two more people, so... The, guy, the guy's on a 